If you would, too, would you please turn to a very familiar passage, I'm sure, to all of you. Would you turn to Matthew's chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Let me just say to you, uh, what's going on here is we are taking a small break from our Mark series. Um, The session has asked me uh, to preach a number of sermons uh, on the issue of deacons. I don't know how many there will be. Bill never knows these things once until I get into it. (laughs) So anyways, uh, with the prospect, if you look at your bulletin, uh, that uh, with the prospect that we will have nominations, uh, we do need nominations and we need some help uh, in among deacons. So we hope you as a congregation will reflect on maybe perhaps who you would love to see served uh, in that capacity. Uh, and so we are going to bring that to memory. I understand that that's been the tradition here. And so the preach on the message and then have that kind of reflection and people reflect upon who they would want to have serve as deacons. So uh, there is a shortage in that area right now, and we, we definitely need that in terms of the help for, for David and, and for Steve. So anyways, what I'm going to do this morning is sort of a complement background uh, message Uh, on just the church. This will be, as you can see in your bulletin, it does complement some messages that I would have, I've been having in the evening series, Uh, and those are dated if you want to go back on YouTube or on the church church, uh, uh, website to listen to those sermons as well in terms of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning is, again, a kind of general message about the church, and then next week, we will dive into some aspects of that. I thought this would be a little bit more appropriate as we are coming to the table this morning, the Lord's table as well. Well, our Matthew 16 passage, once again before you, I am sure again that you are familiar with it. Starting in verse 13 of Matthew 16, hear the holy infallible word of God. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to him, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. 
Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, the, the identity, the true identity of Jesus Christ is absolutely important, crucial in each of our lives. We ask, O oh Lord, that this morning we will not take it lightly that we would be those who inspect our own hearts once again on the basis of Christ's question to the disciples. We ask your grace. We ask for your thy spirit to open our minds and our hearts once again to hear that question in Christ's name. Amen. In the early centuries of the church, the church was very clear about the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Nicene Creed, the church confirmed that Jesus Christ, as we recited this morning, is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. And it goes on and on. At the Council of Chalcedon in 451, the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ is also affirmed and articulated in conformity to the biblical record concerning Christ's person, that Jesus Christ is one person in two natures. Those two natures is that he is fully God and that he is fully man. This understanding of Christ, what we find in Nicaea, what we find in Chalcedon, is affirmed once again in the Reformation, in the Reformed Confessions. However, During the Enlightenment, beginning in the 1700s, and there's elements of that prior to this, but that becomes a kind of principal time in Western civilization. Critical Christian scholarship was attacked. The Enlightenment attacked Christianity in the high doctrine of orthodoxy concerning our Christ. The doctrine of Christ set forth in the Nicene Creed and the Council of Chalcedon came under vicious attack. The Enlightenment claimed that the church must be liberated from this view of Christ 
that is declared in those early creeds and the Reformed confessions that went back and had its root and strength in Scripture. They claim that Chalcedon and the Nicene Creed are steeped in Greek pagan view of Christ, meaning that Christ is viewed as a pre-existent God who comes to the earth. They demanded that the church break away from this kind of hideous, mythical view of Jesus Christ and discover the true Jesus of history. And out of that enlightenment came this kind of battle cry that was very common in the secular culture. The battle cry was, back to Jesus, the man, the man from Nazareth, not the God-man, the man from Nazareth. Well, as you can see in our text this morning, there is a distinct contrast presented in our text. The the distinct contrast is between the confession of unbelief and the confession of belief. The confession of unbelief is connected to the first question that Jesus asked. Who do men, the ESV there as we read this morning, has people. But other translations have, and which is the correct Greek translation, who do men say that the Son of Man is? There are occasions in Scripture when the term men is used for the line of unbelief. For example, possibly one of the most foremost early in the scriptures designation of that is found in Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, where we find and we are told that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Very interesting. In that verse, you can already see, as set forth back in Genesis, the distinction between the seed of the woman, the sons of God, okay, and the seed of the serpent, in this case, the sons of man, or or in this case, the daughters of men. I suggest that this initial question that Jesus asked here in our text is steeped, steeped in this revelational contrast. In other words, when Jesus says, who do men say the Son of Man is? He is asking, who do unbelievers Who does the world say that I am? Who, what are they saying? Those who do not possess the revelation of God the Father, what are they saying concerning the identity of Jesus Christ? The question is immensely interesting. Jesus is conscious of his own identity. There's no doubt about it. He knows that he is the Son of Man, the Messiah, 
who has come to serve, to have dominion, to reign, to judge the world, to have all authority, to have all power, to be glorified, all in fulfillment of the prophetic vision of God to Daniel back in Daniel 7. As one who is self-conscious of his own identity, he asks the disciples how men view him. The disciples would know this. They would be out and about in the communities and hearing, you know, they are following Jesus. And these people would want to know who this Jesus is. And they'll be passing along information of how they perceive who this Jesus is. So they would be hearing the disciples who this person is being qualified by the people out and about. And there you will see, as you can see in terms of their answer, the answer is not that he is the son of man. He's not the Christ. He's not being perceived as the anointed one of God, not the Messiah. No, as the disciples say, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, what about this response? Why would they say John the Baptist? (laughs) John the Baptist is dead (laughs) by this time. Why would that come into play? Most likely, you see, in this context, one of the contexts in terms of the Gentile world's response about who Jesus is, is the suggestion of John the Baptist. For help on this, you may want to turn back to Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, to get insight as to why this was a projected answer. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch, Matthew 14, 1 and 2, heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Perhaps in fear of the people, when he ordered John the Baptist beheaded, Herod thought that John had risen and was now possessed miraculous powers, perhaps haunting his own conscience and his own province in which he rules. After all, in terms of some of the Roman religions that were about in that time, you would believe in such kind of mythical views of religious spirits running around. Then comes the response, as you can see in the text. Some say Elijah, Jeremiah. Well, obviously that comes from the consciousness of the Jewish community, does it not? After all, as we have seen through the Malachi series very strongly, is the idea that Elijah must come before the Messiah. And there is testimony concerning that. Uh, perhaps among some Jews concerning Jeremiah. Malachi 4.5 testifies to that as well. 
Notice that each response, however, I want you to see this, presupposes a belief in supernatural religion. For the Gentile, John the Baptist had been resurrected and was doing miracles. For the Jew, Jesus is a vehicle of the divine message of God, that he speaks with clear authority from the living God, that he has God's message and judgment, or he is the messenger in terms of that, and salvation for Israel. In fact, you, can, you have before you a simple truth. One can believe in supernatural religion and still not be a true believer. Or to put it another way, one can believe that Jesus of Nazareth possesses supernatural characteristics and still be blind to his true identity one can still be lost. In fact, in terms of this supernatural element, the response to Jesus in his day was possibly more positive than even some who respond in our own day. In the modern era, there has been a vicious attack upon the supernatural element within religion. And such an attack has infiltrated even sadly the church. As we hear Christ's question in our world, who do men say the son of man is? The response even, even in the church in some cases is merely that Jesus is a man born of Mary and Joseph from the town of Nazareth. He presented a very good moral message of loving God in your neighbor as yourself. He did not present a supernatural prophetic message, but a humanistic prophetic message against and to his culture. He demanded social and economic justice And in this way, he presented a message of liberation and salvation to a society steeped in political, social, and religious injustice. This is nothing but the Jesus, but a Jesus through the eyes of 18th century all the way now as we see into the 21st century concept of enlightenment and post-enlightenment humanism. Such a view has made every attempt to bankrupt the church. It has made every attempt to remove the riches found in our precious Lord and Savior and the rich benefits of his person, kingdom, and church And they replaced him, they have replaced him with the poverty of spiritual godliness in the pulpits and in turn such godless living has come into their lives as they fail to bow and worship the Christ as he truly is revealed by the Father.
by the scriptures and gloriously manifested in redemptive history. Now comes Christ's question to his own disciples. He comes to them very directly, and I want you to notice very carefully, he comes to them very personally. Very personally. But what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter responds, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. How does Peter make such a glorious and accurate confession of the identity of Jesus Christ? Has man enlightened his reason to make such a confession? Has his fellow disciples stood on the sideline here in this whole situation and said to them, now, now tell him, tell him that he's the son of God, then he'll be happy. Is that what's going on here in the text? Is that how Peter makes this confession? No. Peter's confession, as confessed by Christ himself, is freely and spontaneously given because God the Father has revealed the riches of this marvelous truth that Jesus is the Son of God to Peter from heaven itself. Now to appreciate, to appreciate this profound statement in the context of this gospel, of Peter's statement, you must see it in the context of Matthew's gospel. It is the climax of the first section of Matthew's entire gospel which changes the second section, begins in 1621 of this, of of the Matthew. So that is crucial to understand how Matthew organizes his gospel for you, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to this point as we then will switch, Matthew will switch his narrative to take us with Jesus to the cross. And his resurrection. So it is. Matthew's gospel opens with what? You remember. Do you not? It begins with the genealogy of Christ. And the genealogy centers around two Old Testament figures. Does it not? Who are those two Old Testament figures? Do you remember? Abraham and David. The point is this, the line traced from Jesus to David to Abraham is the line of the expected Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. Chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. This lineage of the Messiah was expected by every Jew 
The Christ is the promised seed of the covenant to Abraham and the royal son of David who sits upon his throne forever. The Holy Spirit through his servant Matthew shows that the coming of the Messiah has arrived. Furthermore, Jesus Christ is in the fullest sense, fullest sense, the Son of God. Although he is the son of David, the son of Abraham, he is the one who was born of a virgin and conceived by the Holy Spirit. Indeed, he is, only in Matthew's gospel, he is Emmanuel, God with us. God himself has come to live in his own creation who has the flesh and blood of the creature. God with us is Jesus, the Savior who saves his people from their sins. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now let me just pause one second here. Reflect back on our opening statements. I would challenge anyone to find where Matthew's gospel contradicts, denies, or fails to positively testify what is stated in the the Nicene Creed or the Council of Chalcedon on the person of Christ. In fact, it is accurate to say that Nicene and Chalcedon affirm, affirm the Holy Spirit's testimony of the true Christ in Matthew's gospel. But how does one come to know? How does one come to know Jesus Christ? If you would, in terms of the progress of Matthew's gospel, you may want to look over at Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. How does one come to know Jesus Christ? In the context of Christ's warning of judgment coming upon cities that did not repent after witnessing his miracles, Chapter 11, 20 through 24, the scripture says, at this time, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Indeed, Jesus reveals himself and the Father to the disciples. Look now over at chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. 
Jesus, this is the incident of Jesus walking on water and Peter coming forth and walking on water with him. Look at verses 32 and 33. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. They witnessed the miracle of Christ, his dominion and power over the entire creation. And thus they confess and they worship Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as God with us. Now, We are at Caesarea Philippi. Christ confronts them with the most decisive question in the history of the world. The history of the world. This is the most decisive question in the history of the world. In the history of salvation. Christ has truly revealed himself. Now how do they respond when Jesus asks the question. Who do you say that I am? Peter says you are the Christ. The son of the living God. That which the Holy Spirit testified through his servant Matthew in chapter 1 has now been confessed upon the lips of Peter. Jesus Christ, the focus, the goal, the center of all redemptive history has been freely confessed By Peter as the Messiah, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Peter knows this truth because the Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, has revealed it to him, his child, according to his good pleasure. Going back and tying this together with Matthew 11, 25 through 27. Through the manifestations of Christ's messianic works, Peter knows that the Son reveals the Father as he truly is. Who do you say that I am? Congregation, look at the whole section there. Of verses 13 through 16. It is the question of the entrance into the church. Into the kingdom. Into the new creation. It is the question into heaven. It is the question which stands at the dawn of the final days of salvation, it is the question of the last judgment. 
all of us are faced this morning once again as we prayed this morning to open this message. Let us all be renewed once again in terms of our own hearts and our own minds. How do you answer this question? Look into your own hearts and do not deceive yourself. For through Christ's coming, the old congregation of Israel has given way to the new congregation of Christ's glory in which Christ is the head. Christ is the head of his church, the bridegroom of his bride, It is eternal. It has begun. It has begun. It is right now. Count it all nothing except to possess your Jesus, his church, his kingdom. And know this. Christ's authority and the church already exists on earth. The glory of the messianic church in the kingdom has already begun. The most exalted confession of Christ's church is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that confession is inaccessible to those who do not receive such a great salvation revealed to you in Christ by his heavenly Father under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Is that your confession this morning? Is that your heart this morning? Is that what is renewed as you go into the world? As we face the world in this next year, let that confession be solidly placed in your hearts. Let's pray. (coughs) In our God, we put our trust. We thank Thee that the Father has revealed the Son. And the Son has made us free in this world. We ask, O God, that our hearts would be renewed this day. And that we would find the continual inheritance and strength that is found in Jesus Christ. We ask these things and that you would place these things continually upon our minds and in our lives. And may we walk faithfully in your truth. In Christ's name, amen.